0: We'll have a brief discussion on the auspicious occasion of the appearance of Upti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur and then Pushpanjali, which means that you all offer flower petals and pay okay, obeisances to the Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur here, who is seated on the dais. And the way we'll do that, for those of you who aren't familiar, after the dis- discussion, we'll stand up and everyone will have some flower petals. I'll sing the pranams. For Bhaktisiddhanta Sastit Thakur, and after the verses are completed, then you offer flowers and pay obeisances, get up, we we'll do it again, like this, three times. And then, just as the end, the conch shell will blow, and the arctic will be offered to Bhaktisiddhanta Sastit Thakur. And then, following that, there should be arctic for Radha Mohan and Mahaprasad. That's the program. It's uh, perhaps notable that we're getting a little more organized here on the day of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati uh, appearance. I'll <laughs> do a slow start, but not. That is to say that Bhakti Siddhanta was necessarily known for organization, but he had an organization and it was vast, consisting of 64 moths. Moths means monasteries, and monasteries means... Monastics, and that means full dedication, no distraction. And so, from there, the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings were spread wide and far, even crossing the ocean to the western world. And of course, we're, many of us here, the fruits, of all of us fruits of that preaching, which was the vision of Takur Bhaktivinoda Pujupat Shridamarsh used to like to say that the vision to interface Bodhi Vaishnavism with the modern world came in Bhaktivinoda Thakur and that Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, his devoted follower and son, gave some shape to that and that Bhaktivinoda Sami Prabhupada then took it all over the world. And of course we like to say that Shri tried to like collect it all up afterwards and Make sure it was going to stay around, but some organization is the idea was there to the, the precepts and uh, and their dissemination at the time of Bucky Siddhanta the Sarsidi talker. And not as they say that he was necessarily a great organizer. That was not his skill or forte, as I understand it. But he was an inspired speaker, writer, preacher, realizer, and. Pushed as he was by Bhakti Vino Thakur, he began his preaching mission and others came particularly, who became Das and later Bhakti Vilas Dirtamarsh came to manage the enthusiasm of Bhakti Siddhanta which was uncommon. And so he organized so many moths and this way Gaudiya Matha expanded. And from there, Khan expanded in so many other moths, this moth, that moth, branches of Gaudiya Math, all to the best of their ability and consideration of their realization, spreading the great teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with the emphasis of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, gathered as, he, as it was by him from Takur Bhakti Vinod. This kind of organization perhaps had not been seen to date, in the Godia Sampradaya, it's, it's uh, it lends itself perhaps not to be very well organized, in as much as it uh, advocates the freedom of the heart, and mm. its pursuit, with one caveat: follow your heart, in other words, or do your own thing, is what Godia Vaishnavism says. But it just prefaces it with, but know what you are, to begin with. So you're not this body mind. <laughs> get that right then as Bhakti Siddhanta Sosthitaka used to say and I cited it the other day bhajan life inner life is really effectively performed on the uh, uh, ground of advaigyan tattva non-dual consciousness rising above material dualities of likes and dislikes happies and sads goods and bads so that variety that spiritual variety has this had its Foundation. It's a realm of consciousness, not matter, not consciousness uh, covered by by matter. So this was a strong emphasis of the saraswati Thakur's preaching, so that when we heard the high teachings, we could come back down to earth and then proceed to try to go there, <laughs> instead of imagining our way there. And so. With that in mind, and uh, bringing new life to the tradition that had to a large extent, in many circles, however obvious it may seem to you, missed this point. They got uh, a little, uh, the bodily conception of life had taken precedence. And what could be more unbecoming? It's one thing to be a thief, another thing to be a counterfeiter. How insidious. To steal money is one thing, but to print money, <laughs> fake money, that is another thing. So, This was the state of affairs largely, we hear at the time of Bhakti Beno and Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur with regard to the teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Many counterfeits and he used the term Bhakti Bunao Thakur, Kali Chela, you were wearing the Sika and kontimala. Neck beads, the tilak, all the, as we talked about them yesterday, the the ornaments, the uh, identifying marks of the Vaishnava, But you are only instead of Mahaprabhu Chela, Kali Chela. You don't want to be Kali, a disciple of Kali Yuga. So, at the insistence and uh, with the inspiration of Bhakti Natak or Bhakti Siddhānta Swami Thakur, formed his mission. And this was, as I say, perhaps the first time in the history of Gaudi that there was so much uh, hard organization, concrete organization of devotees for propagating the teachings and so forth. Of course, the teachings were institutionalized in a softer sense in the form of the literature, written by the Goswamis particularly, our Shastra gurus. I've said before that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was like a great waterfall of ecstasy and love and hard to approach, get close to, it, understand and it, take advantage of even. But the Goswamis, they took that ecstasy and understood that. What is that Mahabhava? They understood it and then they institutionalized it in, in, in a sense in the form of their literature, taking the waterfall of his ecstatic experience. I mean, what could be more ecstatic than God trying to figure himself out? God in the midst of a... Of a um, existential crisis, and uh, they understood this. Namo Mahabhadinaya, Krishna Premapadaya, Krishnaya, Krishna, Jaitanamme, Vauda, Trishetamaha, Rupa Goswami understood, Sanatana Goswami understood, so forth. And so they took, and they sought then to explain what that was. And they drew from the, all the shastras and so forth, and they formed what we sometimes call bhakti-shastras, or the Gosami Granthas. We talked about it a little bit at the grunt. Samadhi yesterday, and Madan Mohan. So this was a kind of institutionalizing of the teaching. And so to take the waterfall of the ecstasy of Mahaprabhu and turn it into a lake that you could approach then, and you could drink from, you could bathe in, and so forth. And of course it's a little more, they do a good job but a little more difficult these days, but a little more difficult to corrupt the books, the texts, than it is for a hard, like, physical organization or corporation to lend itself to, to corruption. But just as there would have been a great loss if one was to think, well, if we try to write this down and record it, it could at some point in time be distorted, and therefore let's not write it down, that would have been a great loss. We would not have been here today, so with some risk, this preaching, is taken up some risk, but nothing risked, nothing gained. And the fact of the matter is, when you take all such risk, as Puja Maharaj used to like to say, in such an outreach, you will find there's nothing lost and everything gained. Even if someone else distorts it somewhere down the line, <laughs> your efforts will not have gone in vain. So, similarly, then, with the vision of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, taken up by Bhakti Bhaktisiddhanta Soshi Thakur to form a mission and organize the whole thing, and this is when the whole, I mean, the whole world is being organized this time by London, by England, and, and, uh, they try to organize India and, and so forth, which doesn't lend itself, as you can see, to organization. And what to speak then, the heart of the whole thing, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's, it's, it doesn't lend itself to that. It leans more the whole culture and, of course, Gaudiya Vaishnavism much more towards just no need for management and organization. Moving on love and trust, to use Prabhupada Bhaktivedanta's uh, terms uh, when he described what were the rules and regulations of ISKCON. It should be run by love and trust. This is the idea of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. In the homeland of the heart, then there's no need for rules. In love, there's love means what? No laws. There's no law in love and there's no love in laws. That's why the Gaudias, they more or less take claim to the word "prem." Now it is admitted by Sri Rupa that there's a prem to Vaikuntha and Bhairi Bhakti up to Dwarka and so forth. But not much is said about it after that anywhere in any of the literature. And as I've said before, amongst other Vaishnav Sampradayas. What is the goal? Mukti. Of course, it's a devotional mukti and it has love and it has preem in it. That's true. Our emphasis is preem. Preem pumarto mahan panchama Purusharta, The fifth goal beyond turiyatita gopala. Not turiya, but turiyatita. Turiya means the fourth. There is waking there is sleeping, there is deep sleep. Consciousness expresses itself in these three dimensions, and beyond. The fourth means beyond, and the fourth, in the term <laughs> for the others. Waking, sleeping, deep sleep, and the fourth. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give, and the fifth. Duryatita Gopala, is it mentioned there, Gopala hinted at. This is the whole emphasis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, we stake claim on the word preem. Preem prayojan. And in praying there are no laws. There are no rules. Because, why? In love, in praying, there are no differences. The two become one. Of course, in a dynamic sense. And in that unity that we can say may foster some differences the differences are such they don't get in the way of the unity if I love you then you have different thoughts than mine because why because my thoughts are about you and your thoughts are about me that's the difference (laughs) only no difference but difference so love is as much about one two as it is about one. Therefore, and the two and one, they just, I mean, they don't go together, right? It doesn't fit between the ears. Two is one. (laughs) One is two. Therefore, acintya. Acintya veda veda tattva. Nonetheless, then, uh, to organize the idea of the pursuit of love, to make it accessible to people who don't know much about love, that's the idea. If you're wild... You need to be ruled, contained, caged, <laughs> tamed. So with the idea to tame the people and acquaint them with love in a gradual way. Goswamis have written the books. Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta to formed the great Godiamat and institutions uh, like ISKCON and Godivedanta Samiti or Sri Chaitanya Sangha, Vrnda Kunja, World Vaishnava Association, all these things are formed with a view to, to make this available. Now, yes, the harder the institution, the more prone it may be to possible corruption and distortion, but again, if it's not formed, then who will understand? Who can understand love? See, it's a difficult thing to understand. It's easily misunderstood. So to help give some understanding that this is a great service to humanity. And as I say, the vision came in Bhakti, you know, Thakur and Bhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur. The first to give it shape and a kind of a shape that was yet to have been seen in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. As again, forming monasteries, training monastics and sending them out to different places was quite revolutionary. You could find them at the train station, Nadia Prakash, Nadia Prakash, Nadia Prakash. Like someone would be saying, get the Tribune, get the Tribune here, get the Times here. And what was a Nadia Prakash? It was a daily paper about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. And the Brahmacharya would go and all day long stand at the train station, which is madness itself. And Nadia Prakash, Nadia... Anything would sell one magazine. Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur would be so pleased with that disciple. How many they sold, I don't know, but they printed them every day. It was a daily magazine. One fellow complained or questioned, how can you print a magazine every day about God? That seems a bit too much. And Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur replied that, well, in the material world here, in every major city on this planet, we find at least one, or if not two, or three newspapers, and they're printed daily. And the whole of the material existence is, is, is just a, a fraction of all that there is to experience and talk about. So, we could, he said, you're wondering how we can print a magazine, a daily magazine, so often in other words, a daily magazine about God. And my response to you, some Satsangha sort of says, we could print a magazine every minute about God. There's so much information. There's so much to be said. In the sutras, they're not the sutra, codes of Vyas that seek to help us make sense out of the jungle of sounds that is all this Hindu scripture, sacred text, You know, there's so many of them. And they seem to be going in so many different directions. The sutras of Vyasa are meant to show us how they really don't go in many different directions. They're all saying the same thing in different ways and tendering to different dispositions in human society, different psychologies about the highest prospect for humanity that culminates in love of God, Prem Prerjan. So these sutras, in the sutras it is said, ikshita na So these sutras, they're very like, well, they're codes. So while Vyas wrote them, like notations with a view to demonstrate the concordance of all the sacred texts they are nonetheless interpreted differently by different people it's problematic so at any rate the advaita lineage a kind of a non-theistic religion if you will not very popular in our circles comparatively with all of our enthusiasm for the personality of Godhead and the and the idea of, of devotion in eternity and so forth. Love, devotion being the ideal, not a means merely to another end of knowledge, enlightenment, and sit quietly, forever alone. Om shanti, 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 but no. Hmm? Rāsānanda, love, and the, the inconceivable idea of two and one being, being the same, or, one indifference at the same time at any rate the Laitans they interpret the sutra like this Ikshater na Brahman the absolute God is that which one cannot speak about now there's some truth to that and the much is what they mean to be say, say is that 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 realm from which going words return from which the mind going returns language is Not sufficient to adequately describe the nature of that experience. Reason, which should be the universal language, perhaps, in human society, as much as we're said (coughs) to be uh, differentiated from the less complex species by our capacity to reason. People reason, and perhaps wisely, that humans are rational animals, I mean to say. But that language, the language of reason, which should transcend the limitations of a particular vernacular, be it Hindi, Bengali, Canadian, American, English, South American, that is also limited an inadequate means to express the experience of the soul, what to speak of, the experience of God union of the soul with God in love. On higher, material hierarchy, Bhagavad Gita gives us first objects of senses, forms that we see, aromas that we smell, sounds that we hear and so forth. First, the sense objects, then the senses, indriyani parani ahur, indriyabhyam param, manaha. From sense objects to senses, from senses to mind, in other words, what is the value of the sense objects without senses? And then, for that matter, what is the value of the senses without a mind? Because it's like you go someplace and then you come back with a friend and you say, well, that was really a wonderful painting on the wall. Did you see that? And he said, I didn't see any painting on the wall. And then you'll find something. He'll find something that you missed. You're all there. you both there. Your senses were active. But... Only the things that connected, the objects of senses, that connected with your senses, while a mind was connected to the sense, afforded the experience of the object. So from sense objects to senses, to mind, and above mind, the voice of reason. Something like, I got input from the sense objects through my senses, and that input was relayed to my mind, And the mind said, I like this. I don't like that. And this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad. And some of the things that the mind says, I like, more subtle voice of reason says, you may like it, but it's not good for you. You may not like it, but it's good for you. But that voice of reason is is often drowned out by the wedding that's this unlawful wedding between mind and senses and sense objects. They're supposed to be connected, to have experience, but there's, it's supposed to be... Reason is supposed to rule over which experiences should be had or, or shouldn't be had. Now, this is the material hierarchy that the Gita speaks of. And then it says, and there's something that's, well, not in the material hierarchy, but higher than all of them. It's in a category of its own, and it's you. Experiencer. So if the self, now we, we're speaking about consciousness, matter, whether it be in the form of subtle matter, as we understand it, which includes reasoning, power, and mind, or in a gross form, in the form of the senses and sense objects, if all of this is inferior to consciousness, and only takes on a life when consciousness lends itself to them, then being superior to them and reasoning, being part of that, how reasoning can reveal the soul. Why should the soul answer to that? Not that the soul idea is unreasonable, but to insist that it can be found by reasoning. That is not reasonable. So, oh, to be rational is a good idea, but mahaprabhu of course had a little bit of a different idea. Humans are different from less complex species not merely because they reason but because they can love. Because they can do something voluntarily. They can make sacrifice and they can grow and know thereby themselves. This is the secret to life that you grow by giving. The self is contracted by taking and by giving it expands and grows. And so this soul then, this is only like a ray of the the sun of Godhead. So if words and mind and reasoning are insufficient to adequately describe the self, the soul, then what to speak of, of Godhead? We are a soul, but we are in a sleeping condition. Our soul is dormant. So all that is going on in the world and reported in all the daily newspapers and all the major cities is all just a movement of the soul asleep. The soul is animating matter even in its sleep, so to speak. I mean, sleep I mean, it's unaware of itself. We are unaware of the extent to which we exist. Therefore we fear. We don't know, we don't realize, we don't understand the extent to which we exist and neither our purpose we exist eternally and our purpose is no purpose for joy for happiness for love that's beyond reason hmm? love knows no reason so Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati we said well if you have these newspapers in all these cities talking about just the soul you know all the movements that constitute a dormant condition of the soul, unaware of itself to one extent or another, then how much information there is about Godhead and the condition of the awakened soul? I mean, we are like in, like ice in our material condition, and in our awakened spiritual condition, we are like water. What's the difference between water and ice? There's a big difference, although they're quite similar. What can you do with ice? Mostly you can cool water. What can you do with water then? What can you do without water? Not much. Not for long. Therefore, what profiteth a man, right? If we gain the whole world, but lose his soul? Nothing. Zero. What was that saying I cited the other day? There are more important things in life than things, or the most important things in life are not things, how we burden our existence only in the pursuit of material acquisition to make ourselves whole feeling unwhole as we are but not knowing why it is our very identification with the ephemeral the things that are here today and gone tomorrow that make us feel empty and to overcome that we add more of them to our lives this is a folly this is not reasonable We're supposed to be reasonable animals. Did you ever do something that your mind demanded or senses when your reasoning knew and told you in a quiet voice it was not good for you? Never, huh? (laughs) You can never think of a time practically when you didn't do that. It's, It's difficult. So it's true that Godhead is beyond words, beyond reason, doesn't have to answer to reason, it's unbecoming for him to show up in the court of reason. (laughs) It's like, beneath him, it's a no-show for him. They've got a jury, they're gonna make a court, does God exist? And if he doesn't show up, then guilty, he doesn't exist or something. But he's not gonna attend. That's not his playground, the court of reason. Reason is a breakdown of love only. Love, as I say, Knows no reason. It's reasonable, love, but it picks up where reason leaves off. So it's true that Godhead is beyond words, beyond mind, beyond reason. na nashavdat, the sutra says. So the Advaitins, they interpret it like this God cannot be spoken about. So our reply to them, good people that they can be, is then you be quiet. We have another interpretation of that sloka, that sutra. Ikseteer naashabdat, Brahman is that about which one cannot say enough. Though so we are always talking about this topic. Tavakatam ritam tapdo jivanam kaviyadi ritam shravana mangalam Sri Madhataram bhuvi gunantiyay buddida ha. And no better example of this can be found than in the person a bhakti siddhanta whose day of appearance, divine appearance in this world we are celebrating. And this Nadia Prakash is an example of that. Nadia Prakash, Nadia Prakash, Nadia Prakash. His brahmacharis, his monks, were standing at the train station with a daily newspaper, the light of Nadia, it was called. It means light on, on the spiritual world. This was the beginning of the interface, as I say, with modernity and Gaudiya Vaishnavism, our religious tradition. So they adapted the means by which the world was promoting itself, where people of the world were promoting the, the small world of their mind, where most people are living, with the goods and bads and the happies and sads that are determined by the mind based on input from the senses. As I said earlier, we get this input from the senses, a sound, a form comes to our eyes and a scent, and it's, this is related to the mind, and a decision is made there I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad. This is happy, this is sad. We're all living in our not-so-sovereign mental domain of goods and bads, happies and sads, and at odds with one another over them. It's a very, very small world, but we stay in it because it allows us to feel and pretend, I should say, that we're big. Little do we know that it's good to be small when there's someone who's actually big, and big in all ways, and then particularly big in affection. Suriram Sarvabhutanam. Bhagwan God says in Gita, at the end of the fifth chapter, he says, Bhoktaram Jagatapasam Sarvaloku Maheshwaram. Boktaram jagatapasam. I am the enjoyer of everything. The implication is, nothing for your enjoyment, our enjoyment. He's speaking to us. That's a bitter pill to swallow. I'm the, I own everything. I'm the controller of everything and everything is meant for my enjoyment. But if you stick around after hearing those first two lines of the verse, then the good news comes in the third line. If that scared you away and I want to be the enjoyer, I want some stake to put my claim on. This is mine. My is a small word of two letters. It's a big problem. Our I is based on our sense of my. And the fact is, nothing is mine. And our sense of I, therefore, is about as real as castles in the sky. Material sense of I. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a mother. I'm an Indian. I'm an American. This is my country. This is my house. This is my car. It's actually... (laughs) It's not ours, as anybody admits. Well, really, I can't keep it, so in that sense, yes. And that's an important sense, because we endure while it does not. Our whole sense of I is based on our desires, in other words, our material desires, our attachments. And whatever we're attached to, well, we won't be able to keep. So it's a problematic sense of I. There is a real I. That's another thing. There is a real ego. And this is it. I am his. I belong to him. Tatvamasi. You are his. Morari told Chaitanyadev when he thought felt troubled by that sannyasa mantra and the traditional meaning of the advaitins oh, Think of it like this, you are his. Or it goes higher than that, he's mine. Here in Braj they think, He's mine. God's one of us. Just like us. He's ours. This is a fine, wonderful type of possessiveness. Mamata, we call it. Minus, minus, not minus, but minus. Minus forms, our minus forms our identity materially, and when our minus becomes, he's mine, God, that forms the spiritual identity, i.e., Nandatanuja Kingaram, Mahabrabhu said. Nandatanuja. Kinkaram. I'm maid servant of Nanda Tanuja. Means I want to live in the house of Nanda Maharaj. He will be my father in law. Krishna will be my my husband. Become the the bride of God, something like that. So in our tradition, we have something to say, as I said. And Bhakti Sadasar about this, Bhakti was a wonderful example. A daily magazine about God. He said, what to speak of daily? You think it's too much? The fellow was complaining that we're printing a daily magazine about God. We could print a magazine at every moment. Only problem is there are no customers. That's all. We're trying to create a market here. There's no lack shortage on our side. is on this side, in interest in the subject matter. This is our problem. Spiritual teachers, their effort is this, their task is this, to create an interest. In us, you know, in all fields of teaching, to create a teachable moment where we feel I need to learn something, to awaken a necessity within us. We're deluded to think that we have no needs. People think, "Oh, it's all right. You need God. That's okay. It's all right. It's psychologically that's a need for you, and I can go with that. It makes you a better person. But I don't need God. If you do, I don't have a problem with that." There's a class of people who have that kind of dependency and psychological need. And our reply is, yes, we need God. (laughs) It's a fact. And the difference between us and you is that you think you don't need God, but you have not thought deeply. The whole platform of your existence, the whole basis of your happiness without God can be taken out from under your feet at any moment. Then what will you say? Then they say it. They used to say in World War II, there were no atheists in the foxholes or something like that. <laughs> there may be today. There's some pretty hardcore people out there. And, uh, and, of course, if you don't want to know about God, he will supply sufficient logic and reasoning to make him go away. No problem there. But if you want to know, then you can know. He wants you to want. If he doesn't want you to know, then there's no question of knowing. But if you want to know, you want to create, it's voluntary, so, and love must be. He wants to create an environment in which the want, the need, the necessity, the desire will be fostered in people. This draws his sympathy and attention. God is the supreme purush, we say in Sanskrit. It means like positive, pusher, doer. So, if you have a positive magnet, one polar, end of the magnet, and on the other hand, you have a negative. What do you get? You get attraction, right? And if this positive pole is very powerful, whatever little negative power will be drawn in, like little flakes of metal. You know, like a like kid, I used to get a magnet and then you get the little flakes—they all catch right up on the end of the magnet like this. But if you have a positive, two positives, then what? They repel one another. And if one positive is really big, really positive, and the other positive is really small, that positive will go chew! so far. <laughs> so when we become the pusher, or try to be, we need to really try to be the center, to be the enjoyer, to be positive, rather than accept that we are negative. I don't mean it in a bad way, but. We are dependent entities. When we try to become positive, this is the repelling God. And a little bit of, as we move a little bit towards dependence then we'll attract his attention. So this is the idea. The teacher has to help us to foster this sense of need. Need's not a bad thing. For young boys hungry, it's a good sign. If he's not, a, and then we think it's a problem. So to have need for God means to have no need whatsoever. Because in that third line of the Gita, at the end of the fifth chapter, what does he say? After saying, I'm the pusher, I'm the maintainer, everything is owned by me, everything controlled by me. Those who can stomach this, it's true. In other words, those who want to live in truth, however unbearable that that may appear to be at first, given our present conditioning, where we want to be the center, where we want to be the enjoyer, wait for the third line, he says, suridam sarvabhutanam. Everything is owned by me. I'm the enjoyer of everything. But those who accept that, then there's another thing I am. I'm friendly to them. Suddenly from nothing you become the friend of the one who owns everything, knows everything, you don't have to go to the trouble to own it yourself or to know it. You just know a person who has everything, then that's it. You're the friend of the person who has everything. Your life is made easy. Something like that. Surinam He's big in this way. We live in the small world of our mind and we feel comfortable there because it allows us to believe that we're big. We are big and we are important in God's eyes but not when we conduct ourselves as if we are God Himself as if we're the center we like to stay in that small world of the mind because it allows us as to say to think that we're big but Gaudi Vaishnavism, real religious idea is to come out of that small world of the mind and what do you meet then? What do you find? You find the one who is actually big and he's big in all ways and particularly the Krishna conception of Godhead, what do we find? What is emphasized in the Krishna conception of God? In the Buddha we find wisdom, in the Christ we find self-sacrifice, and in Krishna we find affection to the extreme. Affection. I mean, if you study the Leela, the divine play of Krishna, you find the affection rules. And this is how we determine Krishna's two Bhagavan Saiyam. If we want to analyze Godhead, all the wonderful manifestations of Godhead in the world, then. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is an analysis of the heart of Bhagavan. Christianity is to a large extent also, but here it seems to grow on that idea. And Bhagavan Krishna is like affection personified, so big in this way. And that we're living for love, really, for affection. So, Bhakti Siddhanta Sastri Thakur, a big mouthpiece for this, said there's not enough that we can say about. Him. we could make a newspaper every minute but there aren't uh, enough customers that's the only problem there in the train station his monks were handing it out Nadia Prakash Nadia Prakash Nadia Prakash this is one magazine a daily magazine he had a bi-monthly magazine he had a bi-weekly magazine the Godia he had a bi-monthly magazine the Harmonist he had so many books they were printing and so forth. His idea was that this Chaitanya Mahaprabhu broadcast the esoteric truth of Radha and Krishna with the cartel, a cymbal and the drum, and singing the name of God. Simple method, but very profound effect. And he sought Bhakti Santa Thakur to extend that, interfacing, as I said, he did with the modern world, he coined the phrase "Brihatmurdanga" in reference to the printing press which could take the kirtan, the sounds, about God. Kirtan, kirti means fame, or to glorify. Kirtan means to glorify. So to speak about God, to glorify God is what it means. So he took that and put it in, in book form, and then with the printing press, many books, and this way he thought, expand the kirtan. He called it the big drum. Brihat Bardanga means big drum, not a little clay drum that goes just a few hundred yards and, and broadcast the sound, but all over the world. So he was taking this uh, tradition, Bodhiya tradition, our tradition, and interfacing it, as I say, with the modern world in a big way, and he, uh, he had a lot to say. If there is not enough that can be said about God, as is our understanding of that sutra, a subject about which one cannot say enough. Bhakti talked Thakur personified a uh, person who realized that not only all these printing printing going on and this whole idea taking this kirtan to new heights the glorification of God to new heights in our tradition but also personally at a personal level it was very difficult to get him to stop talking about Krishna and for his for sake of his health and so forth in later years the disciples would tell him to stop talking and say, this is my problem they're making me stop from talking hmm? I mean our problem is to get together and talk about God how often you want to do it? Once a week? I mean, maybe I have to take this week off, I've got other things to do. I can't come to church this Sunday. Yeah. Uh, this it, it, is like the whole idea of spiritual yoga is that you fix your mind on God, right? Because the mind naturally kind of goes off somewhere else in relation to the sense objects, and the call of the wild, call towards animality. So do control the mind. What do we find in the Gopis, The milk maidens of Krishna. They they were trying to get Krishna off of their mind. This is their yoga. They couldn't. They couldn't get him off their mind. We try to talk about Krishna. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur practically couldn't stop talking about Krishna. They would have to stop him. Or he would stop on his own if the topic went too high. To the kind of service that Radha embodies as an ideal of devotion for us in relation to Krishna, he would faint. Then he couldn't talk because he would be Gadgada. It's a nice word, Gadgada. It sounds just like it means, like like you mispronounced it, Gadgada, Gadgada. Choked up. It means a heart came up in the throat, like Gad, and fainting. His heart is like the, like a cave, it's a hidden, hidden place. Guyam. This Dharma. It's hidden, Guyam, in, in like a cave like the, of the heart of sadhus, saints. It's hidden there. To access that, this is our goal. To get into that cave there, to get entrance. You can't force your way in. You to act in such a way that such a person would want to reveal the heart to us. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasattva wanted to reveal his heart. As all people in love want to share their love, even materially speaking... He wanted to share his love of God, but he could see, oh, the way I feel, it is such that it will not be very well understood by the people. Some prerequisite should be there. So it stopped in his throat, so to speak. And then he would speak about it in ways which would be more easily understandable by us, such that we could approach the great subject. So, as I said, he institutionalized the teaching in a way that it had never been done before for the sake of making it more accessible to the common people as it was meant to be, and in modern times. This was at a time, of course, from about 1912, 1914 to 1936, when Britain ruled the world, so to speak. Breaking from his own tradition in form, he adopted many Western customs and to speak the language of Western people. And because India was oppressed by the British, ruled by the British, and intimidated to think that they were were backward, and they were, in terms of anyway, modern standards, whatever they are, you know, whether that be the standard or not is another thing. But at the time, in the lineage of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, young men young women who are the most, you know, desirable commodity in the world. Everybody wants youth. Naturally, our God is depicted as a youth, an adolescent, experienced tranced by mystics, the value of youth, it means. But at this time, youth, they weren't coming forward and joining Gaudiya Vaishnavism with all of their enthusiasm and innovativeness and and so forth. It wasn't a contagious thing. What was contagious in India at the time was Gandhi's movement. Swaraj, liberation from the British oppression, that we can be the people that we are and have our own customs and so forth, and self-dignity and so on. This was capturing all the young men and women, like flocking to Gandhi. And among others, but Gaudi Rajiv was in particular wasn't like getting a lot of new members, so new new life, new blood. Mm-hmm. Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur went against the current. I mean, you don't think about what the current of Gandhi's movement was in India, huge. He went against the current, take people out of Gandhi's movement for a higher idea still, rather than nationalism. Identity with one's own soul, and in a revolutionary way. And he drew so many young people. They flooded to Gaudiya Moth in its various monasteries. Gaudiya, the tradition, didn't have so many monasteries, mostly married people and a few renunciates living in the jungles and so forth. He opened moths, monasteries in major cities. Previously, the tradition was only in the holy places, kept there. He went to the world and brought the tradition there and people flooded it. He gave new insight into it. He breathed new life into it. This requires considerable courage and realization. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we are the results of this. The great vision of Bhakti Vinod Thakur and then what Bhakti Saddam Sarasya Thakur did to give shape to that and how his students then taking that kind of Idea of how to interface with modernity and going to town with it, so to speak. have taken it all over the world, and And here we all are in this remote uh, village <laughs> of India talking about what would have been perhaps a, a very obscure religious idea, but so wonderful and charming that they could understand. Bhakti Siddhartha could understand. This had the power to charm the whole world. To charm, to tame the whole world, not tame the whole world, but charm the whole world. Tame them and then charm them. Well, you have to charm someone to tame them, like you have to get the, wave the carrot to get the animal in the cage, you know? But once in the cage, then be let out of the cage also. <laughs> so, this is just some brief uh, overview and some words about the spirit of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's. Mission. He was a missionary throughout his life. He was one of twelve sons of Bhagavan Otakor, who was an extraordinary devotee himself. Wrote hundred plus books and poems and songs about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Radha and Krishna. His son Bimal Prasad, as he was named, was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his head like the Brahmas wear the thread around their neck and down here. He was born in Jagannath Puri, a holy seaside town where Jagannath deity resides, a very famous deity of Krishna. The whole town, of course, is built around the deity. And um, not far from the temple, he was born and at the time of the Rath Kart, the Jagannath festival where the deity comes out in the streets in a procession. It stopped in front of his house. Mother Bhagavati took her son newly born, to touch the feet of Jagannath, which is permissible at that time when he's out on his cart. And the garland of the deity fell onto the child. And all the pundits said, he will be a great devotee, he will be a great devotee. After about ten months of living in Puri, he went with his mother to Nadia, Navadvip district, and was raised there as a young boy. And uh, she schooled him with her motherly affection and her own affection for... Bhagavan, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Radha Govinda. He was a very morally uh, upright person. And um, in the house, all the food would first be offered to God before anyone could eat. And one day he ate a mango before it had been offered. And his father chastised him. He was only like six years old. He took a vow never to eat a mango again in his life. And not to eat a mango in India, that is like a sin, practically. I mean, especially when they come in May and June, when it's so hot that they're rather, rather refreshing. King of fruits here in India. He never ate mango his whole life. after that. So a very, very controlled person and very good in school. He was um, top of his class and um, he memorized the Bhagavad Gita by age seven and he very shortly in his youth became an editor and an author and uh, he was very sought after Bhakti for his, his good behavior and his intelligence you know Hinduism at the time was under question from the British who were Victorian in their standards of morality and so forth and in, in India you find goddesses and gods and eroticism in, 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 the, in the heavens and all kinds of things and, and Krishna you know well he's questionable in many people's eyes and particularly the British at the time so a nice boy like Bhaktisiddhanta morally upright not like the rest of these Indians very intelligent and educatable not like most of them he was desirable by the British but he had no interest in going in that direction only for the sake of expounding upon his own tradition, which he did, as I say, in such a big way. But even then, within the Indian circles, he was desirable, and and so many wanted his allegiance. Bhaktivedanta Thakura advised him to take spiritual initiation from Gaurkishore Das Babaji, who was an illiterate renunciate living in Nadi in West Bengal. He used to clothe himself with whatever was found at the cremation grounds, you know the the last remnants of the cloth before the bodies were burnt and, and cremated. He would go and get that and wash it in the Ganges, and that's what he would wear. wasn't too much interested in the fashions, or and, and his diet was he took rice, soaked it in the Ganges, added some lemon and chili, and that's what he ate, or mung dal, mung dal, soak it overnight in the in the Ganges, add a little salt and eat that. I mean he was a very... Really, otherworldly in his orientation. I mean, after all, how much time do you put into, into what you will wear and what you will eat? The world is moving for these things, practically. What I will eat, what I will wear, where I will rest my head at night. He had no concerns for these things, and no education, illiterate. And here the boy, young lad, Bhakti Sarasthi Thakur, was a highly educated individual, and he was inspired by his father to take spiritual initiation from Goro So he went before Das Babaji and asked for the initiation. And he was refused. He said, well, I'll, I will think about it. He said, I will ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said, I will ask God. So the boy went away and came back. And he said, I've come again. He said, what for? Well, you said you were going to ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He said, oh, I forgot. So this means also another thing about this Gorkish Org, this Rehensit. He wasn't concerned about where he would eat, what he would eat, where he would live, what other people thought of him. And he had no interest in any kind of following, no false prestige. We all get a little energy from that. I do something good, and then I want to let other people know I did it, and I get some energy from that, I feel good. He felt this is, this is, ugh, this is worldliness and its most so subtle for him. It said this pratishta, this kind of feeling that we are all after, to be recognized, to be acknowledged, and so forth, materially speaking. It is said, this is like the, the stool of a pig. What is the implication? Have you seen the pigs here? You can find the pigs in the street. One of the main things they eat is the stool of other animals. So what their stool must be like. This is the idea. This is a, so subtle... This desire for distinction and adoration very difficult to get away from. It's like a bad aroma, very bad aroma. It means, from the spiritual perspective, it's, it's repulsive. You've got to get rid of this. He had none of this. He wanted no followers. Like this. Once, Babaji Maharaj Kishore, a fellow, a wealthy merchant who had everything, but in social circles, when asked, who is your guru? Oh, he didn't have a good answer for that. So we looked at who's a good guru, who's a famous guru, famous renunciate, sadhus. And so people said, this is Gorkishore. he's like beyond guru. He lives in the fields. And so, so that I will become his disciple, then I will be able to say, I am a disciple of Gorkishore. Just see, I've got everything. So he went to Gorkishore, Das Babaji, who was at that time living in a field where people went to pass stool just so that nobody would bother him. Incredible. And anyway, the fellow went there. He said, I want to become your disciple. To this fellow, Gorkus said, yes, no problem. The merchant said, naturally, I will give you whatever you want. You ask of me anything. I will give that to you. And he's thinking, I've got, what can this guy want? He doesn't want anything. I can see that right now. So I don't have anything to lose. And if he wants something, I've got a lot of money. And I can build him a hut. What's he going to ask for, a hut? I'll build him a nice one. Make it a marble hut. Hmm? <laughs> so whatever he wants, I can give him many times over, so no problem. So it's a deal. We've got a deal. Uh, you initiate me, and I'll give you whatever you want. Okay. They shook on it. <laughs> and then Gorky the says, so all I want is that you sit down here and stay here and don't go home. You live with me. You want to be my student, so you live with me. And he ran away from that place that man. So this is the kind of person that Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur was encouraged, inspired by his father to approach for initiation. He went once and Bhakti said, well I'll ask Chaitanya He came a second time he said, oh I forgot to ask him. And what Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur noticed was that he was accustomed to people wanting his patronage to be part of their group. He's morally upright, he's Very well educated, intelligent boy, and so forth. But he also had kind of like a very much a spiritual intelligence that he could understand this fellow doesn't want any of the things that I have that are so desirable in the world. What he must have. He could understand morality may be good to a point, good intelligence, knowledge, learning, good to a point. Morality, good morality can get you to heaven. Knowledge, that again can get you mukti, liberation. But this person has something else, praying, love of God. So he kept coming back until Gokasaur Das Babaji Maharaj initiated him. As far as we know, he's the only initiated disciple of Gokasaur Das Babaji who appears like an illiterate person and his student was so learned. And on the power of that connection, he made the mission, like I say, and went, spread this thing all over the world, and are some of the fruits of that. So today we pay our tribute in remembrance of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasutaku, his divine appearance in the world, and this is being celebrated um, throughout the, I mean, we have one, two, three, about half a dozen invitations today to go to other places to honor this, and... We're doing it in our own small way here. So he's a uh, prominent uh, person here in the uh, raja Mandal and a prominent devotee in the Rajmandal, Mandal, which is all made up of devotees. So to be a prominent devotee in this place is to really be a devotee, is the idea. So we're very fortunate to be under his guidance, to be in his lineage. He used to call his uh, lineage the Bhaktivinoda Bar, the family of Bhaktivinoda who was considered to be by many the, the seventh Goswami. The six Goswamis, they founded all this Vrindavan. They saw under the direction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu all the holy places of Krishna's leelas in trance. And then they got the kings to come, got the patronage of kings. The kings built monuments and temples and bathing gods to, to commemorate these places so the pilgrims would come and have some external thing that symbolically represented the underlying esoteric spiritual reality. This whole place, by the way, this whole Brudge Mandal to live here is like living in the least. To live here in a, in a realm of ritual and symbol, symbolic, uh, all the structures and so forth, there's something underneath all of that. They're meant to bring us to the place. Something worthy is going on here. And then by taking advantage of that, to go beneath the surface and find the to experience the whole thing, very extraordinary uh, place anyway, famous in this place. So his day of appearance is being celebrated throughout uh by many many devotees and we are lucky to be amongst them. Are there any questions, any comments? Yes? Why would you not afford to give him initiation himself? He did give him Harinam initiation and he did give him the Shringa mantra, but Bhakti Siddhanta Thakur took objection to some of the some things about the formal guru of Bhakti Vinod Thakur. That is one answer. So he encouraged him to take initiation in another lineage. Same tradition but a different lineage within it. But that is the external reason. He told him to take initiation from Gorakishar Das Babaji because He's the eternal servant, of course, of Kishore das Babaji and the Leela. He is of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, but as well, but in a particular respect with regard to Guru Kishordas Das Babaji Maharaj. Another question? Yes. The idea is that you should encourage people that they can become happy by serving God because service is happiness. It's just a matter of fact that service makes you happy. Serving makes you full, makes you grow, makes you feel whole and, and happy. That's just a byproduct of it. Of course, if we tell people that you serve and you'll become happy, then they have to understand some philosophy too. What it really means to serve and, and how that happiness will come and so forth it 's a spiritual kind of happiness that makes material happiness seem not a problem and insignificant, so it 's all right, yes, and it 's appropriate. We can go in both ways with the with the discussion, encourage people to be that they will find real happiness in serving God. I think that 's a good idea, but you have to emphasize that the underlying idea is that the service is the happiness. Not that by serving you're going to get happiness. Ha! <sighs> now I can stop serving. But the, the serving is the happiness. So, love is about giving. And as much as you attach getting to the giving, well, you're not giving, so you're not, you're not getting. So just giving. And, and full giving, what does it require? Two things are required, to give fully. Well, you have to give without any expectation of return. And you have to find a place that can take unlimitedly. A center that can take unlimitedly. Because even if you want to give without reservation, but that to which you give can't take fully, then you cannot experience the fullness of giving. Any giving is good. From any giving you will grow. God is situated in... Acts of sacrifice, in giving. That's where you'll find yourself. That's where you'll find love of God. But as you grow in giving, then you will come more in contact with the center. And that's the idea of Krishna. As much as you give, I can take. It's the supreme taker. And you study it. He's taking everything. Gopi's love, he's taking. That's everything. He's harmonizing everything. So you need both things. You have to want to give unlimitedly and then you have to find the center to give. So therefore we are always emphasizing Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. It's saying here's the center. This is where you can give unlimitedly. So now you got that down theoretically. Now you have to practice giving without holding back, without expectation of anything in return. And that's the whole Braj lila What else? What is the time now? Time? Okay, what is your question? How do I find my own service? My, my, my English is not so good, so my, my proper service. How do I find it? Do you have a teacher? Yeah. You could ask your teacher. That would be a good start. Who is your teacher? Sadamarsh. Sadamarsh? Mungir? But he's not back yet. <laughs> I thought he was going to come today. He should come today, yeah. Anyway, you will find your service by serving your Guru. Because there is no more prominent manifestation of God in your life than that agency by which God has come to you locally, that is the Guru. So Guru Bhakti, do Guru Bhakti. Try to find some way to do some service to Gurudev. Then your eternal service will become clear. Now you may not be talking about your eternal service; you may be talking about something practical in this life right now, right? <coughs> yeah. So that's um, those are details that I would have to know you. You have to be serving under my direction to tell you. But how to find? How did? How to, you want to know how to do that? How to find what's, what really works for you? What's the best service that you can do? Trial and error would be one answer. (laughs) Trial and error. Keep trying under the guidance of your guru and you'll find your place. But being a householder is not... A a family person is is certainly not an an, and it doesn't have to be an impediment. Anyway, be sincere. Everything will come. It's late also. Forgive me. It's 12.15. We're supposed to be finished by now with everything. So we'll have to stop. Now we get all rise and perform the puspanjali and then the but he will